Muslims call him notorious. Marxists hate him. You're listening to Peter List and Union Free Radio. Hey, thanks for tuning in to LaborUnionReport.com's Union Free Radio, where we are shedding the light on today's unions. I'm your host, Peter List. Our numbers are 888-668-6466. That's 1-888-NO-UNION. Or you can reach out on Twitter, Workplace Report. That's Workplace RPT. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, welcome back to Union Free Radio. You know, Jose Harris, a noted author and PhD, once stated, quote, there is beauty in truth, even if it's painful. Those who lie twist life so that it looks tasty to the lazy, brilliant to the ignorant, and powerful to the weak. But lies only strengthen our defects. They don't teach anything, help anything, fix anything, or cure anything. Nor do they develop one's character, one's mind, one's heart, or one's soul, end quote. So if you haven't guessed by now, today's episode of Union Free Radio is about dishonesty, and specifically, union dishonesty. Oh my gosh! Now, while some of you may not be shocked to learn that unions occasionally lie to workers, some of you may be very shocked to learn that unions are legally allowed to lie to workers. In other words, the government's okay with it. Now, let's go into this a bit further. Generally, other than taxes, most people are not willing to hand over a portion of their paychecks to some entity unless they think they're going to get something out of it. Because of this, when union organizers try to get employees to sign union authorization cards or get them to vote to unionize, they'll often lead employees to believe they'll get something out of it, even when they know they cannot guarantee a single solitary improvement for employees. They can't because it's the employer who still has to pay for everything. So whether it's higher wages or better benefits or getting, quote, dignity and respect on the job, which, by the way, is not something that unions can negotiate, union organizers will often make implied or even actual promises to workers. Sometimes when it comes to getting union authorization cards signed, union Union organizers won't even bother telling employees what it is they're asking them to sign. In fact, it's not uncommon when we're out teaching what union authorization cards are all about that employees will share with us that they've been told they're asked to sign something, you know, sign a union authorization card just to get more information. You see, it serves a union organizer's interest to mislead employees. And for those of us who teach labor relations in the private sector, this is something we hear about all the time when we're holding classes with employees. You are listening to Union Free Radio. Now, to be fair, some union organizers may not intentionally be deceiving employees. If we give them the benefit of the doubt, it could be they just don't know any better. However, When workers say they voted to unionize because the union promised them more money or better benefits or whatever it is that the union promised, that workers signed union authorization cards because the union or its supporters said they get more of something, it leads you to believe that perhaps the deception is intentional. And that's a problem. Let me give you a little background. In 1953, the National Labor Relations Board ruled in a case called Sherlington Supermarket that it would not overturn an election because a union's 
promises of wage increases or other benefits were found to be, quote, campaign propaganda. Now, you're probably asking why I'm sharing a case with you that's nearly 70 years old. Well, it's because that standard has never changed. While the National Labor Relations Board specifically forbids outlaws, prohibits an employer from making promises, it considers union promises to be merely, quote, campaign propaganda that employer, employees, workers, should be able to see through. The problem is many employees today don't see union promises as mere campaign propaganda. And the younger and more diverse the American workforce becomes, the bigger the problem grows. In fact, a lot of employees today buy union promises hook, line, and sinker, and it's only later that they learn they've been misled. Here's a few other examples. In 1971, in a case called Smith Company, a union promised employees, quote, pension and dental plans, elimination of home workers, prohibition of supervisors touching machines, job specialization, pay for the highest rated machine operated during the week, even though the balance of the week was on a lower rated job, union ability to keep an employee on the job even if the employer wished him fired, whereas in the absence of a union victory, the employer was free to fire. Tickets for Frontierland at a discount, availability of a blood bank and loans from a credit union, special discounts on tires, cars, and appliances. End quote. Those were actually the promises that employees were promised by a union. Now, obviously the employer lost that election and filed objections to the election, but the NLRB rejected the employer's objections by stating, quote, the promises did not exceed the bounds of privileged campaign propaganda. Employees are generally able to understand that a union cannot obtain benefits automatically by winning an election, but must achieve them through the collective bargaining. Union promises of the type involved herein are easily recognized by employees to be dependent on contingencies beyond the union's control and do not carry with them the same degree of finality as if uttered by an employer who has it within his powers to implement promises or benefits, end quote. So again, the union went out, made specific promises to employees, won the election, the employer objected, and the labor board said it was fine. More recently, in a case called Lalique North America, a union stated to employees before an election, quote, remember, local, when local 223 is elected on April 19th, you will no longer have to pay for you and your family's medical benefits. As a local 223 member, you will be entitled to medical care, free hospitals, free dental care, free optical care and eyeglasses, not only for you, but for your immediate family members as well and nothing will be taken out of your paycheck to pay for those benefits, end quote. Well, after it lost the election, the employer objected to the outcome, obviously, citing the union's promises. In 2003, the NLRB rejected the, that employer's objections as well. So the National Labor Relations Board has a very, very long history of letting unions purposely trick employees into unionizing. And these are, by the way, just a few examples. There are a lot more cases I could share with you. You are listening to Union Free Radio. 
Now, as a lot of you already know, despite the fact that, depending on the year, unions are winning 60 to 70% of all secret ballot elections, if unions had their way, employees would never vote as to whether or not they become unionized. In fact, if the unions had their way, and they're trying to right now, ban employers from providing any information to the employees, they would love that. In fact, for the better part of the last 15 years, unions have been pushing to eliminate workers' right to vote in secret ballot elections by instituting a process called card check. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with what card check is, it's a process where unions by hook or by crook get signatures on union authorization cards from a simple majority of an employer's employees And once the signatures are verified, the union's automatically in as the employee's bargaining representative. As it stands today, although an employer is legally able to voluntarily recognize a union or to unionize its employees through card check, the vast vast majority of employers out there do not take away their, their employees' right to vote. In other words, most employers will insist on a secret ballot election. However, again, if unions had their way, workers would be unionized without an election, and they've been working to eliminate employees' ability to make a free and informed choice for the last 15 years. In fact, back in 2007, for example, they pushed a hallucinogenically named bill called the Employee Free Choice Act. Get that again. Free Choice Act. The Employee Free Choice Act. So a lot of you remember it as EFCA. Even though they got their minions in Congress to pass it in the House of Representatives, it got stalled in the U.S. Senate, and it pretty much went nowhere after 2009. So, however, if it had passed, it would have eliminated the ability of of employees to vote in a secret ballot election through the NLRB. And even though the unions seem to learn about the debacle of the late 2000s, and they haven't included straight-up card-checked in the new bill, the Poisonous Pro Act, they have a backup plan. You see, union bosses know what Americans, what most Americans never learned on the schoolhouse rock, if you remember that as a kid. And that is, there are two ways to change the law. The legislative process, and as well as the administrative process. And that would be, in this case, the National Labor Relations Board. And so the union bosses have a plan B when it comes to President Biden's new union appointees at the National Labor Relations Board. Here's what I mean by that. In a memo on August 12th, the new general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board, a union attorney by the name of Jennifer Abruzzo, wrote an extensive memo to the NLRB regions around the country seeking cases to use to upend existing labor law. Specifically, regarding a way to institute a form of card check, the general counsel wrote that she is seeking cases, quote, in which an employer refuses to recognize and bargain with a union where the union presents evidence of a card majority, but where the employer is unable to establish a good faith doubt as to majority status, specifically where the employer refusing to recognize has either engaged in unfair labor practices or, here it comes, where the employer is unable to explain its reason for doubting majority status in rejecting the union's demand. Now that, my friend, is backdoor card check. The problem with all of this is that today unions represent less than 7% of the private sector. 
Many of today's workforce are younger, more diverse, and have no idea how unions work. When they're confronted with union promises, the majority of employees today have no idea how collective bargaining works. As well-known labor attorney Dan Johns wrote in a 2008 paper called Promises, Promises, Rethinking the NLRB's Distinction Between Employer and Union Promises During Representation Campaigns, and remember, this was written back when unions in the private sector represented about 10%. He wrote, quote, given that fact, it seems presumptuous, if not downright inaccurate, for the NLRB to assert that employees have sufficient experience and knowledge to allow them to ascertain that union promises about the results of collective bargaining are nothing more than speculative assertions designed to influence their votes. Employees simply do not have sufficient information or experience to allow them to consistently recognize that union promises are essentially meaningless. End quote. Instead of Congress and the NLRB looking at ways to make it easier for unions to unionize workers through deception, Congress should really be considering a bill to require unions to be more honest with workers. There's a Truth in Lending Act. There are all kinds of consumer protection laws. Why not have a Truth in Union Organizing Act? Of course, that would never happen as long as unions keep buying their way into the seats of government. Now, before we wrap up this episode of Union Free Radio, I'm going to read to you another quote by an unusual source. And here's the quote. A secret ballot enables people to vote in an election without fear. They won't have someone looking over their shoulder. Just as in democratic elections, we like to vote in secret so we won't be intimidated or harassed. I think there are some parallels there union elections and democratic elections where you should be able to have the right to exercise and cast a ballot without intimidation, end quote. Now, you might be surprised to learn that that was not a Republican speaking. That was not an anti-union person speaking. That quote came from the new AFL-CIO president, Liz Schuler. She's only been in there for about a month, and she's come out in favor of secret ballot elections. Well, I'm sorry. I'm just going to call that statement for what it is. You see, before Liz Schuler replaced Richard Trumka as the head of the AFL-CIO, she was the number two person at the AFL-CIO for 12 years. 12 years. In all of those 12 years, she never once uttered her support for secret ballot elections. More importantly, for 12 years, Liz Schuler was the secretary treasurer for the AFL-CIO. In other words, her job was to write the checks, and in that job, she wrote tens of millions of dollars worth of checks to Democrat politicians in order to eliminate secret ballot elections. It's all BS. Remember, unions are legally allowed to lie to workers. And... When unions lie, employee free choice dies. They have fought for more than a decade to eliminate secret ballot elections. They have an NLRB that is working to eliminate secret ballot elections, as well as ban employers from speaking to their employees about the adversities of unions and the realities of collective bargaining. Unions are legally allowed to lie.
Well, folks, that wraps up another episode of Union Free Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. If you want to reach out to us, you can reach us at the contact page at laborunionreport.com. That's laborunionreport.com. Or on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's Workplace RPT. Or give us a call at 1-888-668-6466. That's 1-888-NO-UNION. Remember, truth isn't mean. It's truth. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Union Free Radio.